welcome to the Role Playing Exchange. It has been pretty much a week since we finished up Elevation. So while everything is still fresh and the scars haven't quite healed on us and our characters, we've decided to do a little bit of a uh, postmortem and reflect on this. So joining me today, which is me, when I'm Adam and I played Skids, the uh, parkourish uh, runner and Next is Brownie. Hi, uh, I'm Brownie. I played Vaughn, who was a mechanic and um, tech-centered character, who had the spot of Madcap. Chris. Oh, you you did it, Adam. I did I, You we'll did see, it! We'll see if I can make it the rest of the way through the alphabet, though. Okay, uh, well, I'm Chris, and I played the next letter in the alphabet, D, for decoy. And uh, I was the hero of the people, the... Uh, <laughs> A real himbo. <laughs> Who won everybody's hearts. Yeah. Um, I was definitely the, the team mascot. And uh, my my uh, tough spot was Crash Hero. Awesome. Awesome. Ah, and the man who came up with all these uh, tough spots we were playtesting, Nick. Hi, I'm Nick. I played next, the uh, merchant negotiator who just happened to be a kind of a good shot when it came down to it. Uh, when my brains were still in my head, <laughs> I had the uh, the merchant tough spot, which let me buy things easy, but I owed a lot of money. To <laughs> which definitely became a uh, plot device in the game. I felt like I kind of complained about it a lot after that second job. <laughs> I, I apologize if, if I complained it, too much. It, it made sense. So you were very like your character should have been your, your character should have been complaining a lot about that. You were very in debt. <laughs> yeah, you were. Uh, you were pretty deeply fucked. I'm kind of surprised that you had kneecaps at the beginning of the uh, the game. You probably should have started out with stun in your legs. But, you know, with that being said, time to introduce our cold and uncaring market. Also, the creator of Elevation and contributor to Veblen's Goods, where you can find many fine goods, such as war crime grenades. Sean. <laughs> are, are we still doing, are we still plugging it? Like oh, it. wait, wait, wait. Could you tell me about Veblen Goods a little bit? <laughs> I'm Sean. I am the guy that wrote Elevation. I am the guy that co-wrote uh, Veblen Goods with Matt Campen uh, from The Drunk and Ugly. We played Elevation uh, all the way through. This is the first time that it has been played all the way through. I've playtested all the individual jobs a number of times, but I've never had the opportunity to actually get a group of people together to sit down and play straight through each one in, in uh, succession. Ooh, that was a big word. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to hear what you guys uh, thought about how it all went, and um, I'm a little offended that you called me cold and uncaring as the market because everybody survived. Thank you. <laughs> very true. Very true. I thought but you went for... pretty easy on us at some. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a uh, could have gotten worse. Could have gotten all a right. lot worse. I'm a bastard, but I'm still pissed off about the fireworks that we'll talk about a little bit later on. So. Sean, just to kind of lay a little background information here, I have heard it mentioned uh, through various channels that uh, Elevation kind of began as a uh, a job or two for the uh, 10K Lakes campaign. Is that correct? Uh, I had wrote basically the the outline for the first job, the long walk, as a job to run for the 10K Lakes at some point. Never never got played. I never got around to running it for the 10K. A very early playtest of it happened that was um, cut very short, and I, I, I don't really think it could be considered a playtest, in all honesty. But that was that was the only thing that got playtested before I actually ended up writing Elevation as a supplement book. 
which it's all based off of like the view outside the back door of my house. Like I can see the green elevators that this is based off of from the, the back of my house. And uh, I got to thinking one day that, you know, that'd be a really cool place to set up an enclave and all that stuff. And uh, when I went to writing all the jobs for the 10K Lakes, I realized that if I was going to bother to write out that many thousands of words, I should just finish writing out the uh, couple other thousand words and have an actual like supplement book. And I was lucky enough that Caleb saw it and said, it's, it's pretty good. You need to improve some parts, but I'd love to take it on as an official product. And the rest is history. Now we're here. Yeah. Awesome, man. We had definitely had a ton of fun playing it, and we were honored to uh, get a chance to jump in on this. I know that I've mentioned it beforehand, but I was even trying to entice you to play and me run it and stuff like it over Gen Con. But as, again, previously mentioned, I'm pretty happy that you took that upon yourself to get things up and going. And it's definitely been one of the more memorable games that I've played in this year. And the simple format in which we did all this stuff really got I feel like we got you got to be a taker to play this game, so to speak. And by taker, I mean lose an entire weekend, and then you got to reintroduce yourself to your family, and your your children are calling another man dad, and it's it's you know stressful, say the least. It was very stressful. <laughs> we do need like I think we should specify like I don't know that we ever flat out said it that like we ran all four jobs of this in three days worth of time. It was like 72 hours worth of time. I don't yeah, think we, we spent days. 22 fucking hours together in that time, too. We played We played one job Friday evening. We played the second job on Saturday afternoon, third job on Saturday night, and then the fourth job at like noon on Sunday, which was quite the gauntlet to get through, but I think it worked very well for uh, everybody getting into the right kind of mindset and really being in character for how uh the job progression for elevation would have actually affected the people that were there so yeah it it may not have been the the best of uh best of times for you know our family and friends and people that wanted to see us but i think it really really did the uh the the, the game credit so i left christmas like <laughs> my mother-in-law's christmas was like that saturday and it, it the clock rode around to i think it was like two o'clock Eastern Standard Time, one Central. I'm like, well, I got to go. So, You're leaving? Like, I've ate. I'm not getting presents. I got to go play. And then I you know, ran off and left. And I was probably talking about behind my back, but that's neither here or there. I think but, play is a strong term in this case. <laughs> <laughs> got to work. Now, before we really get into the meat, of, meat and potatoes of the uh, four sessions that we ran, I do want to go ahead and I know we mentioned it in, in the playthrough itself, but we were playing with uh, playtesting some spots that Nick made up. So, Nick, you care to kind of introduce what you've been working on? Well, also, I was part of the 10K Lakes campaign. And one day in the chat, we talked about just other various tough spots that people might think of. And I came up with Madcap and I put in the chat and everyone seemed to like it. So I just started making up some more on my own, thinking about like what other type of people that haven't been mentioned would be in this, you know, the zombie apocalypse who, if their luck ran out, would have to take up the taker work and what kind of expertise and drawbacks would they bring to So I just started thinking about that. I came up with like six or seven of them. And then at Gen Con, I mentioned to Caleb if he was interested. And he said, uh, we don't have like, Nothing at the moment, but if we ever do need a spot or anything, you know, let me know how they're going, and uh, I'll take a look. 
uh, just make sure that there's 10 because there's 10 original ones. So I've come up with 10 and uh, you guys were nice enough to test them out. And I, I never mentioned my tough spot, but I, I actually picked the runner and uh, it, it really informed my deci- uh, several of the decisions, which is pretty much the mechanical benefit of these tough spots anyways. But so, yeah, we'll uh, kind of reflect on those at the end of this episode and, you know, what we thought of them. Wait a second. You weren't playing the war criminal spot, Adam? No, <laughs> no, no. That's kind of the role I inherited, you know, even though I did not war crime my own teammate. But wait, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's a couple sessions away. So let's go ahead and start on session number one. So, Sean, what was the job that was lined up? So we maybe I should interject this in here real quick. The simple fact that we were doing like a complete playthrough of this we kind of forgo some of the basic premise is red markets and job selection is that correct uh, so we kind of just caveated that like you guys were going to take this job and not like me have to shoehorn it into you guys trying to find work um just saved us time and effort and everything to to get the ball rolling um, oh i was more than happy to deny the premise <laughs> well, I mean, Chris, that's that's you know status quo for you though. So we we were we were expecting it. <laughs> um, so yeah. Anyway, the first job is the long walk. We didn't we didn't do like discover it as a job. We, we just kind of give it to you guys. Uh, I believe I took away Nick's work action uh, in exchange for basically saying like, here it is. You already know about it. Like, go forth and be merry with it. Um, and the other thing that we did differently was. Um, as as written, the job is twenty legs, ten ten in one direction and then ten in coming back. And due to time constraints, uh, because there is absolutely just no way to run that as written without it being like two or maybe three sessions. Uh, we did ten legs in total, and we paid double rations to reflect the uh, the extra time that we that we skipped over. Because essentially the design the design philosophy behind the long walk was the uh, endurance test. Like there's no way that you can finish that job without using at least a refresh for just your rations in the legs. Like so if you do anything else on a leg that costs you a ration, you're automatically going to have to have a second refresh just for your rations. That was what the whole uh, job was built around was that that concept of how you would handle such a grueling endurance test. I guess I do have the question to follow up on on my explanation of that. Um, how well do you think that it lived up to that design concept? Like, did you guys feel um, pressured with your your rations and everything like that? Oh yeah, I, my entire tough spot was basically if I, after I you know buy an action, if I go ahead and spend another, uh, then I get a, a plus two instead of a plus one. So as soon as you had us do the first leg of that and I've already smoked. So I've already burnt two rations and then there's like, I can get more bounty if I go through this train car and just kill all the zombies that are pinned under stuff. You know, I started burning that. And then at the end of that particular action, I look at that. I'm down to like four rations and I would need a refresh before I even got to, you know, the midway point of this, it really kind of informed what I didn't like what I could do for further on. So it, I liked it. It it showed me the uh, <laughs> I made some frivolous mistakes just right out the gate. I think we definitely felt the pressure, but we also had the foresight to uh, I think both decoy and skids took out loans so they could buy extra food. So that helped mm-hmm. alleviate some of the pressure. But of course, you know, 
there's the economic side of that. Yeah, that was uh, that could have that could have gone bad. That could have broken real bad. Oh yeah, if you guys would have paid that back, it'd have been bad. And one of the things that helped us along was eating a dead man's rations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Brownie, uh, tell us about that. Well, we had uh, someone who was eavesdropping on our job, and we caught him, and we were considering letting him live, and we had to uh, execute our NDA. <laughs> the NDA. And then huddling, cold, running along a railway in a rail truck, we ate his food. You know, kind of going back to what Sean was mentioning earlier on, like, forgoing stuff and doing the same job line, I think the actual creation of the NDA, which became, up until session four, was just basically our mantra of uphold the NDA. <laughs> the NDA. And we could we couldn't talk about the people we murdered in you know public, so we just had to call by another name, just executing the NDA, <laughs> which definitely became our kind of deal. I'm trying to think of like the other legs of it. We I think we just basically ran from everything after that first encounter. There so- was the train car, then there was the broken bridge, then there was. Well, we worked our butts off to get a truck too, which helped out a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> actually, that was the second one. The, the The bridge was after the getting the train car. Yeah, that really helped us. Yeah, we we use that thing to good uh, good use a lot of times. You know, saving on rations, getting through otherwise kill boxes with casualties. I think it worked out really well. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it's it definitely makes that job uh, much more manageable if you manage to get a truck to work at that uh, at that lake site. Then again, you you totally just use Red Marcus to its fullest potential, even when you let us purchase extra rations. It's like, well, there's more debt, and Leroy, I think it was Leroy we purchased those off of, or was it Walter White? It was Walter White. It was Walter White. Walter White is kind of curious, So, and he gave you uh, totally stems, not arsenic or whatever. Okay. Not rat, yeah, not strike, not, not rat poison. Totally not rat poison. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't have that bite us in the ass sean because we sold that in the third session i think at that point we managed to sell them like a load of goods we sold them labeled as stims yeah that's the point i'm trying to make because we tech- we didn't know but <laughs> oh guys if we ever return to these characters again you're just giving me more rope to hang us with <laughs> oh brownie did you want to say something about the uh scavenging for gas oh yes absolutely i think that was too powerful because we were able to try three times per leg, and I didn't remember to say it every leg, but considering it costs four bounty apiece, that's potential 12 bounty from luck rolls every leg. It seems a little too generous. I had it set up originally to be that you could do a scavenging check for it once per leg, and I found that players got overly frustrated with that. Um, to the point that it was like a detriment. It felt detrimental anyway. Even even to me, the cold-hearted market that's like, your suffering is my greatest joy. It just caused problems. Um, and so I like way overcompensated and said that you could just kind of scavenge as much as of it as you could find. You know, everybody could make a check, every leg, whatever. And then it was way overboard. And so I set it back to three. And where I think that that balances itself back out is that usually to stop and uh, scavenge, you're going to have to interact with a leg, which means you're going to have to spend rations, which means you're going to have to interact with my premise of running out of them that much faster. Oh, you, you beautiful monster, you. So, Rob Peter to pay Paul, essentially. And that's that's basically how I, I ended up settling on the three. I agree that if you were to try to collect extra fuel, 
um, that and you know, like, and then sell it off. If somebody were to try to do that, uh, that, that would be probably game breaking. And I would not allow that as the market. I would be like, oh, you can find, um, yeah, there's some good fuel in that tank over there. You don't have any way to carry it. Oh, that 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 sucks. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. The, the we almost broke it though when we were able to fill the truck up, leaving the uh, what was it the second leg, and then when we realized we couldn't afford it, being able to sell all that gas or mm-hmm. diesel or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, well, I think we were calling it diesel for the truck, but yeah, fuel, whatever. Yeah, I do believe to switch tracks on you a little bit on this. We did fail to mention that uh, during character creation, we were also gifted uh, one item uh, from Babylon Goods. And what is, uh, what is Veblen Goods? Well, Veblen Goods is a uh, wonderful catalog of just such great things as power armor, which, you know, Patrick uh, mentioned to us beforehand that everybody should have uh, power armor suits and it would be Team Iron Man. And that would have been an interesting but short lived uh, venture, would it not, Sean? <laughs> Team Iron Man would have been spectacular for the first job. Um, and then when you all got back and nobody had power armor anymore, and then everybody cracked or crumbled off of the uh, stress or detachment um, because your your very very expensive very fancy equipment uh, failed to be upkept and <laughs> broke on you, would have been awesome. Yeah, or if we sold it, Leroy would have purchased it, and we would have had to encounter four uh, power armor takers fighting us in the next session. Oh God. <laughs> There was a there was a point where I almost let my character go so I could get to my backup character who had power armor. <laughs> but Vaughn was so helpful. He was. He was such a nice guy. But you wouldn't want to, want to uh, ride the train with Randy the Randian? No, no, definitely not. There were several points where without Vaughn, uh, I think the other guys would have been up shit creek without a paddle, for lack of a better way to really explain that. Oh yeah. I mean, I had a point in mechanics. <laughs> so. Yeah, we in we go through the legs, we get to our destination, we run into the person who was spying on us, and we're you know getting the first real taste of the environment, the NDA, and all that when we actually have to kill someone who was unfortunately a liability. And this has been kind of my misgiving before in uh, Red Marcus is that sometimes it just depends how certain scenarios go and stuff like that. Just things, you know, it's a it's a bleak setting, it's a feature, it's not a bug. But up until that point, you know, we were high hopes and stuff like that. Then we had to murder someone that was pretty crazy. And then I loved how you had us follow it up midway through on the way back that we encounter this bunch of assholes called freelance. And they have fallen on rough times. Who 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 came up with freelance? That just seems like a bad idea. I don't know. I think it was a it was blank detective. I'm I'm pretty sure it was actually Chris because I asked at some point, you know, like in the chat, I was like, I need a name for this taker crew because I think originally in the in the first draft of Elevation, they were called the Scarecrows. And uh, I got feedback from Caleb and he's like, look, it's already the name of an aberrant. Don't confuse people. Give them a different name. And I was like, I don't know what a good crew name would be. And I'm pretty sure it was Chris. It was like, it should be freelance because they're assholes. And I was like, that's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, I love the 10K. But freelance is the worst. Like they are the worst crew. Like it, it they're like the embodiment of the they're the embodiment of the gig economy crew. <laughs> you hate who you work with, but you have to work with them because they're the only fucking game in town, they say. So there's an interesting dynamic that just occurs to me with those two encounters, Sean. For one, there's somebody who's helpless 
who we're inclined to part of us wants to let them go and all that, but it's like, they know too much. And then there's, we encounter a group of people who are deadly and can like exhort some force on us, but they know absolutely jack shit. And we could have totally avoided that entire encounter. King is intended, sir. (laughs) I I appreciate the little things like that. I just, I was glad that you guys enjoyed that, that those two uh, opposing uh, ways that that interacted. I'm just mad because motherfucker, I killed Priceline. <laughs> and then Adam unkilled him. <laughs> and and just so everybody at home knows, um, Longshot, Priceline, and Null uh, were all three uh, pregens that I made for Red Markets at Gen Con. And David picked up Longshot and made it his own when we did Nick's Joel's at the Gen Con live recording. Mm-hmm. And that was already mostly written into elevation that way. So, uh, you know, GM Fiat in the background, there's not, not the same long shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not our long shot. This is bizarro long shot. Exactly. Mirror universe. He's got a, he's got the goatee. Fun fact, <laughs> I told David that I killed long shot and then he messaged me privately. It's like, how did it happen? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I was the better shot. Did we handle the freelance crew the best out of anyone who played it? Or or were there other people who handled it much better or worse than us? I am um, very curious to see how other people handled freelance. You guys did about what the most common outcome of that is. People be like, uh, fuck this, and they go kill the freelance guys. That's usually how that happens. I did have a group one time that ran into those guys, and they just ran away, basically. They, they just avoided it. They had a vehicle. And uh, they just drove, they spent like extra charges off the tr- truck and went off-roading to go around what they thought was the uh, mined tracks. Damn, that occurred to me. Session two, we kind of decided, but, and, you know, by session two, but I liked how our vignettes were going and stuff like that. We, we pretty much stuck with the same vignettes uh, of people doing each other's vignettes through the course of this. And say for me um, rattling and inadvertently causing some harm later on with that, like I really liked how this group dynamic, even from the very get-go, Sean, when I was playtesting Red Markets for Caleb, vignettes were just basically that time for you to screw your buddy over like oh well look at it oh she wants a ring guys she wants a ring you gotta get her you know so it was just you're never gonna let me live that down are you adam if you do it to me every time like i burnt an npc character of mine because of something you did in in 10k but let's not make it about that I kind of felt bad, Adam, because I felt like I was screwing you over with self-control checks every single time. Oh, oh no, no. Sean, it was explain parenting to him. It's nothing but a self-control check. <laughs> over and over again. But, like, the dynamic, and we even talked about this possibly on mic, possibly off mic, that we were, like, everyone in this group, at least definitely at the beginning of the session, too, everyone liked each other. There was this camaraderie, and you know, the way we were playing it and not necessarily tightening the screws on more than necessary vignettes that I think that became kind of apparent during that session. Yeah, the breadwinners got along. It's the it's literally the only taker crew I've ever seen. Like not just including like the 10K and like I've listened to other groups. We are the only group I've ever seen where just everyone liked each other. To the point where we were very forgiving when someone comes up and says, Ah, oh, I screwed up guys. <laughs> yeah. 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 
or or when they like immediately just like vented and complained at a person the next scene they would come back and start off being like i'm sorry <laughs> I, I just needed to de-stress yeah and the other person's like i forgive you it's okay man. it's okay dude i understand and even out of character like i remember nick going oh no our happy group our happy group when tension started rising but I, yeah, I'm focusing on the wrong aspect of this particular session. So session two, what was that particular job you had drafted out for us there, Sean? So session two is uh, operate heavy machinery, which the original idea of that first came to me. I was listening to, I think it was, I think it was a RPPR like talkie episode at some point, uh, like listening to the backlog. And they were discussing, like, nobody ever uses Operate Heavy Machinery as a skill in Call of Cthulhu. Like, it's there. It's on the character sheet. But, like, nobody's ever put points in it. And I don't know why, but that, like, stuck in my head. And I was like, I need to make a job at some point. This is back also before I was actually writing Elevation as the, the supplement book. It was still just job lines or jobs for the 10K. It's like, I need to make a job. Or I, I need to have these guys, like, operate heavy machinery. Like, what, uh, you know what kind of a situation would there be where like you'd actually have to have a skill like that come up, uh, which is where I got on the idea of after the long walk, you'd have to repair the rail lines. And that's very specialized and technical skills that most people that survived the apocalypse would not, not have that skill set. I do want to point out, Sean, that Ross created a, a uh, call of Cthulhu scenario called operate heavy machinery, where you were supposed to operate heavy machinery. And in the only recorded version of it, no one operated heavy machinery. <laughs> it's, it's case in point. <laughs> so you did well by making, like, just making it so that heavy machinery was being operated and we had to deal with. Good job, my dude. Yeah, I really enjoyed the call out to Trabajo and uh, those characters as well. I put that in there as a, a like, kind of an Easter egg for those in the know kind of a thing, you know? Okay, I thought I was gonna. I was about to ask, was that like a uh, cross advertising kind of thing? Was Trabajo an elevator person pop up because they were released at like the same time? Uh, no, uh, Trabajo was actually written. I'm pretty sure months before I ever got uh, elevation into uh, Caleb. Yeah, it was part of the Kickstarter. So the side benefit of you including uh, Trabajo in this particular episode is like Aaron is my friend. And I would have died on that hill to save refurb and reperb. You know, I had to I had to do it. So you definitely had me going on that one right there. Also, Nick, his name is Refurb, not Reverb. Sorry, my bad. (laughs) That was driving me nuts. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll talk about things that drive us nuts because the wheels start falling off around the third session. But Uh, I mean, I think session two was the first gas grenade. Let's talk about that. So the job line, like, I think we got sidetracked from that. The, the job line was basically we were to go to this train station and uh, repair the tracks. Is that a good summary of that, Sean? Uh, essentially, you've got to go and you've got to clear a uh, a section of tracks in a rail yard so that a train could pass through it. Um, like, all the all the tracks that are in the area are have some sort of either train or train cars or something on them. So you got to go in and get them moved. And that's not just a thing you can just go do without heavy machinery involved. Um, and you guys chose very well to do the job the right way. Uh, there are three options in the book um, as far as how you can handle that situation. The right way, the cheap way, and the fast way. And the cheap and the fast ways both 
have a potential to like derail the grain cars, the grain train out of elevation in job four. Like you would, when you hit the uh, the rail yard on that fourth job coming out, you would have to roll black and red. You can't spend willpower on it. You don't get any bonuses. And a crit fail means the train just derails and the jobs are over. Oh. So yeah, there's uh, <laughs> the the callback in job four from job two uh, is a, a potent one if you don't do it the right way. Yeah, that, that tracks. So yeah, there we go. We're on our first leg. And I'm like, guys, I'm a little gun shy because, you know, we had such a ration problem last time. Of course, we did, the truck allows us to pack extra stuff, which turned out to be a godsend for the level. I have questions about that in a moment. Yeah, so our first leg, we stop at a house. There's a uh, little, I remember it was a Jack Russell because I do not like Jack Russells because as mentioned on the recording, I had one bite my earlobe off one time. My earlobe's back right now. Thanks for asking. But so we see the dog barking there. We pull the truck in. We're going to check things out. And Nick, I really think I'd like your perspective on this whole ordeal. I think you saw things a little different than the rest of us. Like, what happened to Nick's? So I didn't want to, to metagame too much, but the first thoughts that went through my head were three legs listed in the book that it could be from. Two of them were positive. One of them was negative. And knowing Sean running the game, it was going to be the negative one. So I didn't want to use that, that too much. But Decoy volunteered to go up, and I'm like, okay. I 100% knew what was going on, but out of care, uh, out of character. In character, I didn't. So I'm just like, uh, yep, this seems right. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew the gist also. So Decoy goes up to the porch, goes to knock on the door. I'm like, okay, it would be my role as the talker to be sort of up front in case a person actually opens the door, I can step in and not have decoy like bumble around in a conversation or something. So I'm like, I'll be safe on the lawn. It'll be fine. Not on the porch. It'll be a trap door. Not like right up against the door where casualties will burst through. I'll be on the lawn. That's fine. And then Sean goes, roll awareness check. I'm like, fuck. And that's where what four (laughs) dogs jumped out of the grass at me. Three, I think. Four? Or three it, attacked me immediately and one hung back for a second. Yeah, it, it was four because I remember one did not bite his last leg. <laughs> That's right, yeah, I had two arms and a leg. Yep. Well, four, four dogs and a gas grenade, right? Coming out of that grass? Yeah. Well, Where did that gas grenade come from? Well, I'm, well, I think we started combat and Decoy, you went first, or I went first and held my action, and then all I hear from Chris is, next, hold your breath, and th- I just I think my mic was muted at the time, and I was just cursing myself, ready to die. <laughs> Your mic was definitely muted then. And then I immediately just slammed the mic down and went, Sean, he shouted out, hold your breath. My character's holding my breath. And I just left it up to fade. <laughs> my favorite part of that was rolling up the truck, hitting the recirculate button on the air conditioning. I don't want any of that in here. <laughs> and then after that, I flipped through to find the suffocation rules, so I knew how long I had before I was breathing chlorine gas. Yeah, so we go we go back to the uh, the station and secure the perimeter, and this is where our whole scheming portion of this kind of starts. So, and this is where Brownie, bless your heart, and unlike most people say bless her heart, and I'm gonna start talking bad about you. Bless his heart, drinks all day long. Like you really took a leadership role here on setting up our perimeters for our defense of the compound while reperb and refurb are working on the uh, train track. 
I love planning, and it also let me use my freebie from Beblin Goods, available now on DriveThruRPG. <laughs> oh, tell me more about Beblin Goods. It is a fine, fine gear supplement that not only adds new gear, but also adds new upgrades for existing gear, such as the crash kit and many other fine upgrades. Oh, uh, I'm sure the crash kit never comes up later. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so, yeah, you pretty much like you took the lead there. I hopefully will have the foresight when I post this. If not, I still got the pictures Brownie posted to kind of give people a visual representation. But Brownie did the awesome thing of taking the image provided in the uh, elevation book and kind of numbered the particular points. So we actually had a reference now of when doing our discussion, which to be honest with you, I never use visuals. I haven't really until I started playing D&D a couple months ago. Like this was very helpful because I there's no way I could have pictured all this just by looking at the pictures and stuff like that. So, what kind of defenses did we end up mounting on this uh, last stand? There, there was a point where I think we were dragging into our like what fourth hour. I just had to like lay down and I just let you guys just take over for a good chunk of it. I just trusted what you were saying on your map worked out. Sean <laughs> told us the day before, depending on how long, like the second session was going to be the longest. And depending on how bad we screw up, it could be longer. So, Brownie, I think we were just burning the time up front to make sure we did it right. So, like, oh, it paid off it. really well. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did good. We set up some lures to lure the uh, casualties into the strongest part of the fence. We set up a kill box. We set up some fire bombs. We set up some flaming asphalt. It was a good time. Some fireworks to distract yeah. some casualties. Well, what about those fireworks? So, the part about this that I love the most. With Madcap, there's probably a certain point you'll hear us go in the campaign, or you've heard us go in the campaign. Let's not have Brownie do it, because Sean will screw us. And then just, <laughs> there are points where we completely forget that Brownie's the Madcap. We're like, oh, Brownie, go do this. And then Sean's like, I'm going to use that point of will there. And then we suddenly remember and just curse having Brownie do that. And this was one of those moments. Yeah, and Madcap is uh, one of the good tough spots that lets you either upgrade a lot of things up to a success or critical success, but every time you do, it gives a negative will to the market to use on you later. And oh, did the market use it? Oh, yeah. Oh, Sean. <laughs> My nemesis. That was a good call, Sean. So in the game, we have everything set up as the uh, train pulls into the station and all the heavy equipment was being operated and making and got off a racket there was a nearby bike town subdivision whatever that we assumed there was going to be a lot of uh, casualties coming out of so we were we set up fireworks and actually tried to uh, like scale them away in different spots so it would just kind of kite a large amount of the casualties away it was and, a very good plan mm-hmm. it, was a, it was an ingenious plan really <laughs> and it ultimately and i felt good when i talked to you about it and like no it did help you you just didn't see it because we paid a uh you know called in a uh, favor or reference and had someone go out and set the stuff up for us but yeah so our main deterrent of having to deal with a swarm of casualties just disappeared and then we got into and like i'm not gonna lie that was it was a very tense kind of uh setup there where we just had to defend our borders for as long as we can until we're you know ultimately overran and i i had two bullets left and one of them i was going to use on myself and that was after buying extra extra refresh for everybody at the beginning right (laughs) yeah i think everybody had at least one free refresh of uh, ammunition for that so yeah 
Yeah, and I think I ended up giving it to mine to uh, Skids because she's just lighting up that one side by herself the entire time. Oh yeah, and it, it definitely paid out. Now again, I would totally die to protect repurb and refurb and stuff like that. So what I really liked about amongst all this and us seeing our traps work and you know you constantly just throwing more and more casualties at each of the, the labeled points and stuff like that was the random like. Give me an awareness check. Give me an awareness check. It's like, damn it, John. <laughs> I just like how I was on the water the water tower the whole time. So like I could not make an awareness check. I'm just like, I'm gonna shoot zombies. Casualties, sir. Casualties. So I think we mentioned it beforehand, and I, you know, I kind of sense the uh, drawing conclusion of this here. And though there was something from the beginning, I think we should talk about with our failed uh, PR campaign that really shaped the scape of the uh, uh, elevation from that point on. But yeah, Brownie, tell us what you did. Well, to be fair, it was a team effort between me and Skids. Yes. <laughs> but we, uh, we tried to alter the price of the job by, you know, spreading some misinformation. And then Leroy just uh, rode us the rest of the way down. And, and thus was born our protagonist, if I'm not mistaken, Sean. Or did you kind of have Leroy? Antagonist. Antagonist, excuse me. So the, the way that Elevation is written is that there's the potential for Leroy to be an antagonist, um, Janelle Thompson to be the antagonist, uh, or the DHQS to be an antagonist. And essentially, I left it completely. I didn't make any of those decisions up front. Uh, in the book, I have it written so that it's can, it can be completely organically driven by the way uh, the players interact with the different legs in uh, Job 1 primarily, because um, different different elements that you interact with on the legs of job one have different sources of how they come to be interfering with you. And it's basically written in there as like whatever one that the the players think is like, Oh, that's gotta be the bad guy. There you go. Make it the bad guy. But you guys obviously made it Leroy, the obvious choice as the the bad guy. So yeah, when you went to spread misinformation and you went directly to to Leroy, who was your antagonist at that point, uh, it was, it was a great time. Yeah. Good job, Brownie. I'm proud of you. Was that a madcap or was that just our failure in general? That was a madcap. Yeah, that was a madcap. Like, I'm going to do this thing. And I was like, hey, you made a roll for that. I'm going to do this thing instead. And everybody went, oh, crap. And that was the first time I think you used it. Uh, yeah, I think so. That was that was technically um, in the negotiations before we did job two. So, yeah, I think that was the first time I did that. You made your punches count, but at the same time, you didn't put us in an over position where like fucking him over fucked everybody else over like irreversibly like you you just made things tensor with that so your level of restraint and gauging the situation in general was definitely commendable one last thing has repurb and refurb ever died on this mission <laughs> funny that you asked laugh answers so many questions we're not the only ones to get him out alive are we Oh, no, you're not the only one to get that alive, but uh, they have died before, yes. Uh, there's been a couple of times where I've, I've playtested this job, and it was one of those things where the minute it looked like they were going to finish, uh, like in an example, um, when you guys ran through this, and you were like, it's going to be like another round or two before they're done, and we've got them all held back like a round or two away from them, and you were starting to talk about like, we're going to have to start getting our getting out of here. I've had groups hit that point and instead of saying, okay, we got to get ready to get out of here in a round or two. They were just like, it's close enough. We're done. We're out. And they just, they just left. <laughs> I think that's the difference between like experienced red market players and newbies. 
And I think it also, I mean, there's also a difference in like every other instance of playtesting. This has been a one shot, either at a con or with uh, some people that are here, my old gaming group here in town. And in a one shot scenario, like they don't, they don't care. You know, um, I did run it once at a con and had somebody tell me the exact same thing that Adam did. They recognized the reference from Trabajo and, and Refurb, and uh, they were like, "Oh no, like we will die on this hill. Like Aaron's not gonna, not gonna eat it here, not now." So. On the two occasions where that has for for sure that reference has been gotten, it's worked out great. I, I wanted to ask the, the question to you guys, because um, I know like Nick has read Elevation. I know Brownie has played that job before at Gen Con. Um, I, I don't know how much of it you've, you did or didn't read, Adam, um, but how did that go uh, compared to what you expected it to go? That like was that, Did it end up being like a totally different thing than how you thought it was going to be, or...? I didn't expect it to be to that extent. Like I read everything, actually. I read the introduction. And then I stopped. So I read the history and then I, I read everything after the fact. Uh, but I didn't really foresee us being overwhelmed like we were, if that makes sense. I thought we could probably end up holding our own. Like we had the extra rations, the extra ammo. We had the foresight and all that. But, you know, even the best laid plans kind of deal. And also on a side note, when Ian said do it the right way and said do it the quick way, I was like, God damn it. But, <laughs> Not Ian. I know, Ian. Uh, sorry. God damn it, Nick. Oh, you. Uh, hello, Nick. I'm Adam. Okay, it's fine. Adam. <laughs> nice to meet you, Yusuf Harding. <laughs> but um, I uh, I kind of it went the way I expected, as in like how you're gonna throw the waves against us. We were obviously much more prepared to take on the casualties than I expected. Like as the job started. Yeah, I was I was expecting us to get fucking ruined. <laughs> yeah. So um, of all the elevation jobs, I knew the gist of the first and last ones. And then I basically knew the complications for the second and third because I had planned to run the second and third at Gen Con this year for uh, the games I was running if takers wanted to take them. And I think, Sean, I actually went up and asked you before one of the games, how would you throw casualties at us in the train yard? So I kind of knew what you were going to do going into it, which is another reason why I wanted to do like a... uh, laid-back approach to it and let everyone else decide how to tackle the problem. Because I didn't want, like, my knowledge of what you were going to do, like, give us an advantage. I have to, I have to say uh, that I am exceedingly happy with the amount of uh, no metagaming. Like, cause I, like I said, I know Brownie's played a couple of these. He's played a couple of these with me at Gen Con. I know Nick has uh, read the book and stuff like that, but, like, I never at any point felt that you guys were, like, Oh, we know what's going to happen. Let's, uh, you know, make sure that we're over here so we can do this thing. And, like, it won't be that big a deal. And I appreciate that very much, you guys. Yeah, I definitely made an effort not to metagame, leaving stuff alone where I thought I knew things. And honestly, on this job, the makeup of the the team and the skill set was different enough that, you know, it, it can be a very different experience uh, based on what you bring to the table. Oh, yeah. I mean, who who you have playing and what kind of characters you have definitely can make a big, big difference on that job for sure. What do you think, though, Brandon? Did that go smoother than the uh, the one that you get at Gen Con? There was, a, there was a significant amount of prep work that was done for both of those jobs, or both both times we ran that job. So Yeah, they were very different, kind of, the prep work and also how it turned out. I mean, I didn't end up on horde casualties on this one with my neck bitten, swinging a, an axe to save, try to save Aaron's character, uh, and Aaron's character didn't get bitten as soon as he was packing up his tools, so I think it went better. That was my previous experience. <laughs> I mean, I did, I did run it slightly more severely for for con games, but again, I think that's a. Um, you got like you guys had mentioned earlier, earlier just tonight about how you thought I went pretty easy on you. Like 
this would be my normal like how to run uh, red markets in a campaign setting as opposed to um, just beating the ever-loving crap out of everybody all the time like you do in a, a one-shot or a uh, especially a con game like red markets in a con game you have to play pretty hardcore uh, to really get the hey dog i learned that last gen con god damn <laughs> Like, I thought you were, like, every negotiation you opened up with, the guy gives me fresh baked bread and, like, a nice cold home-brewed wheat beer. I thought you were going to slam me for self-control checks every time you gave me, like, a nice little introduction gift. And it never came. And I was like, I'm not going to mention it, so I don't give him the idea. <laughs> uh, no, if this had been, if this would have been, like, a con game, I would have totally done that right off the start and just been like, this is this is how it goes. This is the, this is the horrors that you face. But uh, I think if I were to run it that extreme... Um, in an extended play, I don't think it would be fun. I think I would just meet grinder everybody way too hard, and everybody'd be like, "Screw this! We're not having any fun by the end of job two. Yeah. So I think the big thing that sticks out in my mind about at the beginning of episode three is where, I mean, we're still doing the content of the game, but at the same time, through our home life and our vignettes and all that, like it just that's where i started seeing the bigger picture of things coming up like for example lord i think was it this session or was it in session two that brownies uh, or excuse me vaughn's wife was uh, relocated by leroy yep it was and also uh, also steve disappeared <laughs> yeah <clears throat> had to take my little thunder nap yeah <laughs> I mean, it really was coming alive for me. So we had that. We had uh, the uh, co-worker and friend uh, disappearing. And I'm trying to think if there's anything particular. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> this is where I tried to be nice to Chris with Decoy. And I played his father. And like Decoy's <laughs> coming to him for help. And I've started That was to- my favorite fucking vignettes. <laughs> I did not honest to God set out to screw you on that, Chris. I just thought, like... Just explain what happened. Well, he was decoy. Now, step in when I screw us up at the end of this here. But my impression of it is that decoy was starting to feel a lot of doubt and uh, didn't have direction. And he was hurting and stuff like that. They, excuse me. I always screwed it up. I did not intentionally do that. But, uh, well, even in the game, I don't think I ever really jumped in on it. I just screwed it up. My bad. Uh, But, yeah, they're hurting. And... The only thing that I can think of is when I look out and I see, and I don't want to, I'm not going to make this a political or social economic necessary thing, but I see people out there that are working themselves to the bone and they have no, nothing. And like, why do they keep going? And like, I was trying to go for this. There's nobility and suffering kind of nihilistic kind of approach to parenting decoy. That's, that's what I was going for, Chris. I didn't, I'm, I'm proud of you, son. Instead of like, causing you an existential crisis and then i knew i screwed up when sean's like well what it sounds like to me is (laughs) that was such a good fucking vignette (laughs) like he was like yeah no suffering is good you're doing you're doing a good job son i'm proud of you i think you also had the vignette here where you went to go talk to the gunner if you had information on your brother Mm -hmm. and i just had him be like did he, you know, mention any doles or anything? Yeah, he mentioned it was coming up. Are you sure he didn't just leave you behind in the recession? That was brutal, but uh, it was. Ex- I, di- I didn't. I didn't expect that to be honest. I was just saying, no, it's expected, but I didn't expect for you to say that. I knew it was like anything would, you know, turn out to be kind of stressful and things like that. 
uh, out of character, the brother was my backup character for in in case you know Skiz passed away on the job. There, I was going to have him you know come back from the loss and so forth. But then when you rerouted it like that, I was like, you know, maybe he is dead. Maybe he just left us. And oh my god, he left his daughter. I was honestly waiting for Sean to have another taker crew attack us, and they were all in like uh, masks or you know bandanas across their face and it was your brother's taker group after we like killed them and like uncovered their faces yeah and nick messaged me that in private just so you wouldn't know sean <laughs> uh, i can't believe you would think i would be doing such a thing thank you sean for not doing it to me <laughs> <laughs> just like i like when we came across that uh wrecked truck in the lake the first leg here i thought that was going to end up having steve behind the wheel dead to, with a bullet wound to the back of the head <laughs> what was in that truck it was a what was it? It was a it was a trash band, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. What? Hmm. So it has become tradition that um, the, the raccoon leg, the infamous raccoon leg, uh, happens so often, and I don't know why. Uh, scientifically, it is without explanation that I decided I had to include it. Like I didn't like randomly roll it or anything. I just decided I needed to include it just for the, the, the sake of including it at this point. Um, but I wanted to redress it just enough that you guys didn't just go, it's the raccoon leg, screw this, we're not, no, just move along, move along. So I it took is... a different leg and then put the raccoon in it. And I think it worked wonderfully. It's it's basically the leg hit location, but for randomly rolled legs. <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's it's so great. It's a good leg, but goddamn. And I think that was the one point that we did meta game where after that truck blew up, we're like, we're getting out of here before the uh, the meek and the uh, blatants just yeah. come out of the woods. We're getting the yeah. fuck out of here. It was the one time we're like, fuck this noise. Uh, that's my first raccoon. I guess you always remember your first raccoon leg. Uh, so yeah, it, it was memorable. Now, getting on to it. So the second job, or third job, excuse me. The third job was we had to go clean out a uh, what was what was the particular location? What was it called, John? Uh, it was the ADM grain elevators in St. Louis. You had to get them all cleaned up so they could uh, move grain through them to load them up, load it up to sell. And I'll, like this entire game, of course, we had to maintain radio silence. And what what were you going for on this one? I mean, I know, but I'm kind of just setting you up. Like, what what was the general feel that you were trying to get across in this leg? Like, it, it succeeded like a motherfucker. I mean, the the point of the job in the end is to be like a bottled character drama. Like, um, I, I used to be able to quote like a movie or two, like that are examples of this, and I'm pulling a blank at the moment. But the idea is that you're stuck with your coworkers that you may or may not like in a stinky place full of rats and moldy and rotten grain. And you're having to do crappy manual labor, and you're you're stuck there for for weeks, or for a week essentially. Um, and as your rations slowly dwindle, and the work just gets more and more monotonous, and it's it's really built around the idea of um, letting the characters have to deal with each other. Like there's not a lot of real um, life threatening things that happen on that job. Uh, and also to be fair, um, I. I skipped some of the complications and stuff like that. And for the sake of time again, uh, since this was the second job that we were running in the same day, we took like a 45 minute break from job two to run job three and job two took us like five and a half hours or something like that. Sean, I needed dinner so bad. <laughs> I just needed to eat. 
Oh, did I hear you? <laughs> I went upstairs and drank a beer and ate some leftover pizza and like just sat in my lazy chair in my lazy boy. I'm just like, oh god. <laughs> um. So I skipped the, this. It didn't get ran exactly as it's written, and that was purely for the sake of everyone's actual sanity, uh, not the character sanity, but the player sanity, uh, so that we didn't have to make it longer than it really needed to be. The way it's written, there should have been some more casualties that would have come in. You'd have to fight like a group of casualties every day. Um, you'd have to have made a lot more checks as far as to um, complete all the tasks that you needed. You'd have had to have made several more runs out, the, the two-leg journey out to get supplies and bring them back. Um, I never hit you with the big uh, conundrum of that job, which is that the, the disinfectant that you have to bring is worth like, what is it, like 60 bounty, I think. Is the total value of all the, the the disinfectant stuff as written in the book, and I never bothered to like bring that up and make that a thing with it because I wanted to get back to the core of it, which was having the scenes where you guys are just doing some monotonous bullshit and having to do that because that was where the real meat and potatoes of that scenario. Got. We talked about this, uh, you know, throughout the course of this, but I mean, this is a session where I really felt like I was getting the true red markets experience. We're tired. We're hungry. We haven't seen our family. We got to keep doing this kind of stuff. And then, like, you know, that day we recorded, you know, conservatively saying, like, we recorded 12 hours of stuff. So at half the day was pretty much, you know, spent playing Red Markets. And, like, I think started blurring in. Like, so you started it off with, like, little encounter there, nothing big, couple of casualties. And then we encountered the feral children, which I did. I was expecting an aberrant. And, like, you just set the scene so much that, like, me simply being cautious and, like, paranoid as a player, because t- it seems like every time I turned around in 10K, it's like, oh, there's an aberrant. Oh, there's an aberrant. They're rare, but there's an aberrant there, too. Like, I was expecting the aberrant to pop up. And you showed... I do want to point out that I used aberrants three times in the 10K. I played with other people, Chris. We're in an open relationship. I'm, I'm, like playing toss up as a character, I think seven of my first ten games were aberrants. <laughs> <laughs> Sean hit me with a aberrant, the God in the Machine aberrant. But um, yeah, so you you throw the child at me and the feral kids, and you know, I damn near just shot them and stuff. I'm glad I crick succeeded on stuff like that. And so that was just for me the fact that I could have almost killed the child. That was that was horrifying. And then, like you said, the day in and day out grind. And then on top of that, I'm, we're dealing with, you know, spending 18 hours in two days around each other, stuff like that. And things started blending in to me. And there was a particular part where Vaughn and De- Decoy, almost a decoy, decoy went out to get more supplies. And was it Vaughn or maybe it was Nixon decoy? I think me and Vaughn. It was Nixon decoy. It was Nix. Yeah. It was Nix. Yeah. And we're, we're sitting there. You know, I'm listening to Chris and Nick. That's how deliberate I was. Do after scene, and then all of a sudden, like I thought I was listening to it and things like that. And Chris was was having deep decoy talk about. Well, sometimes you got to shoot a dog and stuff like that. And I'm sort of like, oh my gosh, he's gonna kill the children. He's gonna kill the children. No. So when he gets back, like I just automatically with my paranoia as a player, as like you know, I'm excluding decoy from certain conversations and that had an explosive end <laughs> it was really yeah good. the the incorporation of the children where we were expecting an aberrant was definitely masterful 
the only complaint I had was that after all the good callbacks we had to other um, known Red Market's properties, that Paddywhack wasn't there. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, goddamn. Brownie, and, and, right. And, and part of that is because I listened to uh, that whole campaign as a, a get-me-in-the-mood you know, refresher right before. To be totally honest with you, I completely forgot about Paddywhack, or I would have, I would have, yeah, that, that would have been a great callback. Elevation, second edition. <laughs> <laughs> oh Release <goodness>. notes. <laughs> I, I, do, I, do got a, I do got a question on you all, because this is, you know, we had prouded ourselves on just how well our group was reacting and stuff like that. Was the, was the scene, and it ended pretty horribly with both characters saying very mean things, like... I don't give a shit about your dad or quit blah, blah, blah. And then like, I hope your, your brother's dead. And I like, was that, was that a bug or a feature? Like, did that add to it or was that just, uh, I, I think it was a good ending for the night because it was basically us getting our like feelings out both in and out of character for the day. And you guys like patched up the next and played that out, which made for a, a good scene and everything. So I, I liked it. Okay. Awesome. I mean, I, I feel like I might be bragging on myself a little too much here, but I think it really highlighted and showcased what the job was really supposed to be about. Like, it's not it's not really about the um, the feral kids or the, the shit work that you're doing. It's about the effect that all those things had on the characters and how it can be a pretty bad effect on the characters. So I think that ended up working for the good of the story. As long as it was, you know, things that wasn't like the, the players behind it or having the problem, you know, which I don't think. It reminded me a lot of that one movie, um, Adam, you tried to show, you, you wanted me to watch. A session number nine. There we go. Yeah, it's uh, just these guys cleaning out a, an old sanitarium that may or may not be haunted. And it's just the financial stress and just the monotony and all that. It just it ground on it. And that's the entire thing. I was thinking about that the entire time we played it. I was too. And we played right into it, goddammit. And Sean like was hitting me all the time with these detachment checks because like my soft spot was children and stuff like that. And maybe he should have been harder for me just to totally deny my soft spot, but just out of sight, out of mind, NDA, got to think about my kid and not everybody else's kid. So it was like really an eye-opening scene for not just my character, but the player and just how like it all just blurred together for me at that point in time. God, I still feel bad about what we did to those kids. I, <laughs> like, I, I want to help them, you know? Yeah, I mean, and you can, you could have, if you guys would have like actively pursued it instead of just like, because you guys, you know, you left out some rations once or twice, but like that was it. Like, you never really like said, hey, let's go try to find the kids or do something to help the kids. It was just like, I left some rations out. And then the one time, like, Brownie tried to chase the one uh, that did try to push him down the, the silo, which granted, I would go chase him too. But if you guys would have made that a thing, like, I totally would have followed that up too. And we could have done a whole other, other aspect to that job where if you had. If you had told Decoy about this, Decoy would have tried. <laughs> Some like, compartmentalization involved there prevented that. Yeah. yeah. Dex just saw it was a touchy subject for skids, and Nex just didn't want to get involved with the kids if they didn't have to. Which, which is why at the end of the job, I just lied and it was like, yeah, we saw them in around the, the, around the property, uh, along the fence. We left. We don't know if they got in after we left, but they're in the area. Those kids are so dead. Uh, they made it to Sloan. Let's hope for them. Mm. Chris, 
fuck up my ending. All right. So, <laughs> Adam, I'm just saying. Let's go on to the, the final final episode here. So, before we actually get into the final job, honestly, I'd like to hear Vaughn's take on this. So, like, at this point, you know, you've already, your character's already had a uh, break, like you mechanically broke or snapped or cracked. It was cracked, excuse me. Uh, like, what I was. He had a depression nap. How would you describe the uh, the scene back home? Gilded cage, diesel scented gilded cage. I think is how we described it for my uh, my dependent. Uh, I we had screwed up. I say we, I mean I screwed up. Um, and Leroy was all up in everyone's business. We found out later he was in fact also up Nexus business as well. But it was bad hostage scene. I thought it was a very comfortable hostage situation myself. Like it was a nice place to live. <laughs> Smells a little well, off, but hey, you know. Don't mind the red flashing light coming out of the uh, potted plant or anything. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was good for my dependent who didn't know what was going on. Bad because I did. <laughs> Let's jump over to the next affected person. Next, like that was, like we got to meet your girlfriend and child for the first time in session three when your coworker disappeared. So how about session four? What was life for you like? Yeah, so I didn't state it, but I was kind of playing on my paranoia in which my business partner and best friend disappeared. And you notice that every vignette from then on was basically me just being in the house, being like, everything's going to be okay. We got this going. It's going to work out. Hopefully Steve shows up. So I was just playing next. was like not leaving the house as much anymore kind of thing. And I don't know how well I played, uh, you know, said this in the can- in the uh, gameplay or anything, but I was internalizing that it was my fault that Steve got taken because i asked steve to check on my wife when the gilded cage thing started i think it was clear okay meanwhile meanwhile decoy was good living his best life yeah you know skits skits wasn't you know in bad shape either and we had our reconciliation which you know i've really enjoyed that bit of role playing that we started that session off with there uh i mean by the end of it after we had our heart to heart and stuff like that i maybe i'm reading into this wrong but I kind of had the feeling that uh, their relationship was more ride or die after that. Oh, yeah. No, Decoy is super, super ride or die. And we also found out that, you know, our coworkers were more healthy for us. Well, I mean, Decoy, than his family and his dependents. I think we were leaning towards a codependent uh, setup. Yeah. Skids kind of became uh, the, the de facto father figure for Decoy, I think, by the end of that one. Uh, yeah, no, Decoy and... Uh... Uh, Skids and uh, Vaughn are both just like they're parental figures at this point. We all kind of were trying to give Decoy, you know, good advice or try to cheer him up there at the end of the third session, beginning of the fourth session. Again, that was just I love the dynamic that we had going on in this game. Also, and this is something that you know, Sean, you can lead into describing your final uh, job for us here. But I enjoyed how throughout the course of this. There was interactions between Nex and Jeb that uh, I had to make sure I said that right. Jed. And Jed. I, I screwed it up. Still didn't, yeah. I always <laughs> forget, so I would always default to Mr. Jones when I couldn't remember. But then I have yeah. Count Crows in my head. Now I've got Mr. Jones and me. Just like, I'll be in a nursing home one day and I won't even know my name or how to, you know, take care of myself, but I'll have that song and Baby Shark just going through my fucking head. But I, I digress. I'm sorry. Take a drink. <laughs> You were saying, Adam, that you liked how we had like a little vignette before we got into Yeah. Uh, you, you, oh, and it, it appeared several times. Like you at uh, next walking in, like session two, 
we're your we're your guys. We believe in what you're doing and breaking down the actual negotiations process. And then it it definitely there was some of that in session three, but in session four, that's when we started going like realizing the problem that Leroy posed and we start trying to take care of our own and put all of our eggs in the Jones basket, so to speak, to take care of dependents and get Vaughn's uh, wife out of her guilty cage and so forth and so on. It seems like such a good idea at the time, but we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit. <laughs> Sean, what would have happened if... No, no, let's go ahead. Let's, we, let's go back to the end. I... No! <laughs> so we, curious. We'll find out. Let's just go ahead. Sean, tell us about that job. So job number four is uh, one if by land and three if by train, which is the the big culminating event of the whole job line where you have to move all the grain from elevation to St. Louis to be sold to the recession uh, before it all molds and rots and goes really bad. And the whole enclave that you're surviving in goes to to ruin, and it'd be all your fault because you didn't get it done, and it'd be a wonderful time as the market to punish you all horribly with self-control checks, but you succeeded in it, so we didn't have to go that route. Um... It was literally, it was one of those things, like, I realized, like, the, the end job had to be, like, the logistics of moving grain from one one point to the other, and how, up to that point, the grain is treated like this great treasure trove. Um, so if you're going to have it out there and be vulnerable, like, because the, the train is, like, it's a, it's a known factor. Like, the tracks are obvious. Like, it's going to have to be at this point. Um, essentially, at the, when I realized all that, I was like, I'm going to have to write Mad Max on, on the railroad because people would have to try to take it like it was it's just no not everybody could resist the urge to to attack it and try to take it as their own even if they didn't realize that it was you know a month away from being completely worthless people would still want to try to seize it as their own it was originally written where you had the option of either um taking the semi route or the train route which is why the title is what it is I never bothered to change it. It was you'd get paid a bounty per semi load that made it, or three bounty per train car load that would make it because the difference in the loads, uh, the train cars are more valuable. Um, and when I submitted this to, to Caleb, he's like, "You know, everything about this has been about the train." And then here at the end, you're like, "Hey, but like you could totally not use the train." And he's like, "That's dumb." And I said, "You know what? Uh, you're right. That is kind of dumb. <laughs> like, why would you choose choose to not use the train at that point?" So. Uh, that got taken out, and it all became about just you know how you handled the train part of it. But the, the name got to stay the same because I didn't ever think of anything better to call it. But it it is it's literally like I think the the in the it's either in the gist or it's in the complication. Like the very first line of it is like imagine this as a Mad Max movie because uh, it's all high speed chases and uh, how you escort the train through through uh, all the perils of getting it there, especially with uh, traders involved from elevation that would be able to know exactly when and where the train would be. You did. The nice fear tactic of, oh, you want that? Sure. Jones will buy it for you. Oh, you want this? Yeah, Jones will buy it for you. That freaked me the fuck out, dude. We also <laughs> lucked a little bit on the uh, the acquisition rules with Jones as well. Getting those free uh, rope and harnesses and all that stuff. Oh, god damn. You were actually the first group of players I've ever had that said, hey, let's get ropes and harnesses and stuff like that so we don't fall off. Oh, god. That, that was just... my first thought. Because my first thought was if one of us falls off the train, we're out of the scenario. But then we almost forgot to use it. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So, okay. So we had this, uh, you know, basically the entire the entire deal was building up toward the encounter with the Raiders out there on the train. And, you know, we're riding on the train. We spot it. We've got everything up and going. And then next, it's like, hey, 
run down their skids and intercept them. So, you know, I just bust ass to get down there just to get my arm nearly blown off. So it kind of made me a little gunshot throughout most of the scenario with all that yeah. killing in my arm. My, my thought was, I think, Sean, you described what, like 16 cars or something like that? 20 cars? Uh, I think it was 15? I've got my notes here, so I'm going to find that out real quick. Okay. Well, we'll just say 15 for the example. I thought he was going to have like 10 of the cars attack the front where, you know, you would think that people were attacking to take over the, the main train, take over the conductor. Mm-hmm. Well, he sent five cars in the back to slowly just put one person on between the train cars and just start decoupling the train cars one by one. Which is why I said, skids, just run the hell down there and make sure they don't start decoupling train cars one by one. Which it was fine. I mean, it all worked out and we all got into our licks. Um, so let's go ahead and I think we should probably start this, like, you know, because we've been doing this for a while, this recording here. Let's go ahead and start this off. By order of operations, I think let's go ahead and start with Depoy. Like, what was your contributions to the great train attack? Depoy? Decoy. Shit, I did it. I'm tired, guys. I'm sorry. I'm tired. Well, for decoy, decoy is always a good shot. But, um, so, uh, my character tried to just, you know, take take cars out. Except the one time I actually got to fucking use my spear skill. <laughs> Literally, I had this since the first session, and this is the only time I actually got to use spear except for later. And that was to help uh, help make sure skids didn't die. Yeah, you were doing the undercarriage stuff there. Yeah, too with it. But yeah, you you just went boss mode, and like the majority of the raiders that were taken out, I think were taken out by your actions, just like using the fine rifle, honey rifle found at Veblen Goods to uh, snipe drivers. I'm sorry, what is Veblen Goods? Oh well, <laughs> I don't have it in me anymore, guys. <laughs> <laughs> So as so, so we had this particular row. Nix, what exactly do you recall about that particular battle that sticks out? There? I know some of it may be a little fuzzy. Uh, well, I first wanted to just make sure that there was no Ubik uh, connection between the cars, so they couldn't coordinate as well. And then if you know, doing the same thing I did with the freelance people, if I managed to like stun a couple of drivers who might have them, that would also be a bonus. And after that first round, I would just shoot where needed. And I I screwed up royally, so I took a lot of damage over the course of the fight, just shooting cars as they came. And then came the round that had happened. Uh, at the top of the round, I had one will left, and I had a decent amount of damage to my body parts, but my chest still had 13 boxes open. So I was like, I'm not going to use my will to dodge if I fail again, because I failed the two previous dodges. I'll just use the little-known fact that it's will for and move damage from a body location to another body location, and I go first in the round. So by the time we reached the Raiders, all the way at the end of the round, I had forgotten I was going to do that, got shot in the head, and then dropped. (laughs) (laughs) Straight up died. And then was basically out for the rest of the fight. Why didn't you die? Uh, Well, you might want to ask Vaughn that. That comes along to, I think, my best contribution for our little train ride, which was using the crash kit, which... Truth be told, next told me to buy, uh, which you can use on, it's one of the upgrades available in Veblen Goods, uh, and you can use it to use your, your remaining charges in your to resuscitate a recently killed coworker, uh, which is what we did. Just poured that whole med kit out directly into Nex's brain hole. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for that. I really thought 
Well, I, I knew there wasn't a chance, but in the back of my head, I was like, if Sean uses Madcap right now to kill me, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, Sean nearly did use Madcap. Oh, God. Like, So, Skids, what did you do? It's two words. Uh, okay, war crimes. That's what it was. Yep. So, yep. So, at the beginning of it, uh, Decoy was uh, passing out his chlorine grenades, uh, smoke there. grenades. Passing out their uh, chlorine smoke grenades, and I just thought, well, I'll, I'll be able to use. That. I expected a stationary fight for some goddamn reason. I don't know why. And you know, after getting shot, I ducked down between cars, so I'm like less likely to get shot. And then, you know, Sean has all these raiders hopping up on the on the uh, train, and I just had a moment of like, please let me do this. And I popped the uh, chlorine grenade. And just sit there and held it and just ventilated the uh, raiders, which I think I probably took out like six or seven people just by, you know, making them throw up their lungs. How many, Sean? Uh, if I have my notes correct here, uh, looks like around 15 people in total were uh, were war crimes to death. <laughs> okay. And the entire time I'm doing this and I'm feeling proud of myself, Sean sent messages in the chat like, yeah, the man with the helmet. And the body armor is hiding from gunshots. Like, guilty. <laughs> and then he got me. He was very, you were very generous. And then, like, I had two raiders coming at me from the sides at the same time. And that's when I used Nick's uh, tough spot to its fullest. No, I used a, a wheel, I think, on that. I'll take it back. I think I used a wheel to just flip myself out of that. And um, we took care of those raiders. And then, Sean, like, did I sound real pitiful when you had the raider tackle me and uh, sling me off the train? I mean, you know, you sounded a little bit like, but but please, we, we bought those items that I totally forgot to mention that we were using. <laughs> <laughs> and then I reminded y'all. Oh, yeah, we're tethered. I'm like, please, like, can I make a foresight row? Yes. But like, I thought that here I am at the very end. And I've been worried so much about my non-existent child. And then, you know, boom, I just get thrown off the train. And I was like trying to spin it in my head, like how I could survive, which <laughs> no, and stuff like that. So that was, you know, a very memorable moment for me. And that is that, uh, that uh, foresight row that I only had one point in. And that was the one time I got to actually use a fucking spear roll. <laughs> and what a spear roll it was, sir. It was so good. So, Sean, what is what is the way that you plan the attack for the raiders on the train? Like, did we handle it the best we did, or did we get lucky with some of the uh, the dropping some of the cards back and having them come in waves? Um, so, yeah, the way I run that, and it's it's left very ambiguous um, in the in the book, so that markets can adjust it as necessary to their own groups. Uh, but the way I tend to run it is that there's um, a significant amount of cars, but they're usually at least a uh, a few rounds away so you can take some of them out as they get close and then if you do things like you you did with the uh the ubix and the feedback uh you can delay them so they don't get people onto the train as fast um you guys did very very well because i really didn't pull any punches on the number of cars or the amount of people that were in each car um like if if you guys would not have rolled well like you did it very well could have ended the, the session on that fight um, but you guys did you did good, and the the war crime grenades were were very helpful in that. Um, the difference in how that goes, or the, the difference for the way the job goes itself, is uh, depending on like who the traitor ends up being. If you use the traitor, or if like everybody ends up being a traitor, 
um, it, it affects how or, or which parts of the, 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 that job uh, are the more difficult things. Because uh, as written, you're actually supposed to have an encounter with a DHQS kill squad as well, uh, which I actually substituted out for the uh, stuff with uh, Jones and Leroy back at Elevation uh, because that became such an integral part of the story. Um, and again, for time constraints, because we were all you know tired and exhausted and had put in a lot of time into the game. I was like, you know, another fight after that one isn't going to be as climactic. Um, the stuff back there with, with Leroy is going to be much, much more meaningful to the characters. So we'll just, we'll scrap that part. We'll put this in. But like if Janelle Thompson would have been the traitor, uh, the Raider fight would have been a much easier thing. And the DHQS fight would have happened secondary and it would have been a much more significant than, than just like its base encounter. Yeah. Normally that's the, normally the way that I run it is that I have like the, the, the cars can t- be taken out pretty easily and take out a significant amount of people. Like all the Raiders have one hit box. As long as you hit them or do damage to them, they're dead. You know, I don't have any like uh, management levels or anything like that. And so it's just, it's more like getting through the, the massive amounts of bodies than it is anything else. It felt like I kept wanting to fight at the very end. I don't know if anybody else had that kind of deal, but the, I, it was a unique feeling. Like you were, we were just making a decision. There's a few things that we could affect. And then, you know, I think we actually said we had decoy, you know, step in with the familial kind of setup of it. And all, but it just, yeah, just we're, we're divorced and we just kind of make a decision and hope for the best is what it. Um, I think I also madcapped Brownie on the like uh, awareness check to notice that they were about to get to you. No, no, no. You guys succeeded on that. I take that back. Yeah, you, uh, you madcapped some damage to him. The difference that I would have done had you not made that awareness check is you would not have had the uh, the round or two of uh, heads up. Like you would have rounded the corner on the hill and have been immediately beset upon by the Raiders because Leroy is tied to the Raiders and uh, he knew exactly what you'd be there and where you'd be and all that stuff to set up the ambush perfectly. Um, so making that awareness check was uh, as good as it could have been or that would have been a whole lot worse probably. I think we should go back to our final question here, like uh, that was posed at the beginning of this episode, which doesn't make it the final question. Words, they're they're hard. Does Jeb always die? Or is there, like, is there certain things that we did that definitely escalated that? That was 100% me making that up on the spot. No, it is not written in there in any way, shape, or form that, that Jed dies. But I knew I wanted to make something happen that was big and meaningful to the characters. Because, like I said, the, the DHQS fight that would have happened after the Raiders normally wouldn't have meant anything to you guys. You guys never found out that there was DHQS involvement other than, like, they obviously had to be who the grain was going to. So it didn't, it, there wouldn't have been any, like, oh, so that's where they come back, and there's no callback involved in it. But there was all sorts of callback to be made on you guys going out of your way to put all of your eggs in one basket with Jed and making sure that all of the leverage that uh, Leroy had on you guys was all in the same place. And then after the Raider attack fails, like that's Leroy's big uh, Hail Mary kind of thing was to send the Raiders after you that fails. So the only thing he's got left was the leverage that he had tried to hold on to you guys that you purposely took away from him. So it was kind of the first thing that I was like, you know, Leroy's got to have that one last, uh, you know, the, the, in the slasher film, the, 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 the big bad evil guy has been put down and then he jumps back up one last time kind of thing. Yeah. Did, did you always plan on having that hostage situation there at the end, like at the beginning of the session? Or was it like halfway through or at the end there that you thought like, oh, I'm going to have Leroy call 
with the the family in the background? Um, we were about we were about halfway through the raider fight, and I was starting to think of like, okay, so once this gets wrapped up, because it looked like you guys were going to get through it, like the next thing on the list is going to be this thing, and I was like, okay, but the the helicopter and the DHS squad is like a non-factor at this point, so I need to bring in something else. Then I was like, okay, I need to bring Leroy back, and then I went, oh, they put everybody in the same place. And then I was like, well, Leroy is kind of a dick. And he does run a very large criminal organization. So no, no, he's already done hostage situations once. It worked out fairly well. So we'll just do it again. It was, it was very literally the, the, the Leroy taking over the top floor in elevation and killing Jed was the seat of my pants. Okay. It felt like it fit in perfectly. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like, I know... I know I'm saying like I made it up off the seat of my pants, but it's also like I'm intimately familiar with uh, the characters and what they are and their interactions and stuff like that as far as like in my head because I, I wrote this crap and I've, you know, ran through it numerous times now. So it wasn't like it was um, grasping at straws or anything like that to bring that up, um, especially with the way Leroy had interacted with you guys in the past. But yeah, it was definitely definitely not anything I had ever planned on beforehand. Awesome. Well, I think we ended it on a pretty, like a pretty awesome note. You know, got us wanting more. Of course, I'm not ready to quite, you know, spend an entire weekend again with you guys. But I, I got, it's been one of the more unique gaming experiences I've ever had. And man, I, not I, I don't get to play with a lot of you very often. And this, Sean, I've got to thank you for that. I've enjoyed, I enjoyed playing with all of you all. It was great. And uh, yeah, I, I, this has been, this is a good end of, for 2019 for me. I'm just glad you guys all enjoyed it and had a lot of fun with it. So. It was tons of fun. Thank you again for running it. Very enjoyable, yes. I would definitely recommend that you purchase it. It's drive through RPG. In my book. <laughs> I'll tell you what, real quick. Nick, I don't feel like I utilized my spots as much, my tough spot as much. I enjoyed it. I don't think I used it enough to like see a flaw in the, the way I gained by like, using the pickup truck. Kind of took away from the downside to the athletics that the runner provided. But uh, yeah. You know, that, I think that was just I like the way we played it just kind of broke it, not the way it was written. Uh, the fact that we were traveling so many legs and everything also mm-hmm. bit into your rations for a, a couple of sessions, so you didn't really feel uh, like you should use your spot and your rations as much for physical mm-hmm. activities. Brownie, do you have any feedback for the Madcap? Yep, I thought it was great. Um, it was very powerful to use, but then you were just waiting for the next time that you were going to surprise fail something um i thought the carryover between sessions was good but i might cap it so that if i maybe used my three will the first time you didn't have three negative spring on me when i wasn't looking immediately uh on the second session maybe cap it at one or two or something like that but it was great good to hear uh merchant was definitely a struggle for me when we didn't do well but otherwise it kind of according i I asked you sean after we stopped recording uh, you said I saved a whole bunch of bounty just buying stuff over the course of the sessions, right? So it kind of paid off long term, or it would pay uh, off long term. You you used it enough um, that I think in in extended play like that, it's it's worth it. But yeah, I mean, it's you got a, a heck of a hill to get over at the very beginning to uh, to to enjoy having that spot. Yeah, I was just to see what it's what that's like again um, with someone else playing it. But yeah. I don't think the merchant need to do much. Awesome. Well, I guess that's it man it's been a wild ride the gauntlet as we unofficially called it the elevation gauntlet is over we've did the post-mortem and yeah that's 
this is one of the things that I'm very proud of to have been a part of with doing our, like I'm proud of a lot of RPX. Don't get me wrong, but like, this is like, this is definitely a highlight. It was some, it's something I'm proud of being a part of and thank you all for making the experience what it was. I had tons of fun. I'd definitely do it again in like, you know, a couple of months or half a year or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we need to, we need to like, you know, do this, uh, like a six month break between Gen Con, right? So about, about the same time frame. So we got six months to go. So it's Gen Con, and then I can totally ruin my voice by having just, you know just just stop shop that many just, hours. Just like, stop. December again, <laughs> we can do it. You know, right? Yeah. Does that mean you're offering to run games for us at Gen Con, Sean? Because that's what I'm picking up. <laughs> I fully intend to be there and running games again. Yes. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. That is our postmortem on Elevation by Sean Ferris. Please go out and buy his book. Oh, well, also, uh, Brownie, please, you do it best. <laughs> the Fine, Fine, Bevelin Goods, available now at DriveThruRPG. It'll be the one, yeah. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, with that, thanks for tuning in, and uh, yeah, thank you very much. It's been a blast. Later. <laughs>